everyone. I'm Grace Beeson, and this is the Because Why Not podcast, where I help you to love your life just as it is. I'm a mindset and relationship coach, a 20-plus year wedding planner, a mom of two young boys, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a friend, and a relatable human on a constant journey of spiritual growth and personal development, all with a lot of laughter along for the ride. I'm a self-help junkie, a cookie addict, Bravo TV lover, and a former party girl committed to showing people there is joy to be found exactly where they are. Thanks for joining me. Hello, everyone. It's Grace. Here I am again. I took a month off from recording. Um, which is the longest I've ever taken off since I began this podcast in March of 2019. And um, I hadn't planned to take this many weeks off. It was not at all my intention or what I wanted to do, but it just presented itself to me. Like I just couldn't record. I couldn't find the words. I, it just became really clear that I needed to take a break. Um, and for many, many reasons, you know, there's just so much happening globally, locally, in our country, in our state, in my house, in my head, for all of us. And I decided to really lean in, I guess, to hitting the pause button on this podcast, which I love so dearly and which I love doing and love doing for myself and love doing for you. And I decided that, you know, since this is a platform where I share things so openly and honestly, that the most authentic thing I could do to this process and for this podcast and in my life was to take a break. So I did that. And I wondered every week or every few days or whenever, like, am I ready yet? And I kept thinking, no, I'm not. Um, And what happened is just more kept happening in the world. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I'm getting backed up on things to talk about. There's so much happening. I mean, how do I even comment on everything? And What I've come around to here a month later, four weeks later, after I initially took a pause from this as I was in a place of overwhelm with my kids in their last weeks of school and with um, some work in my own world ramping up and um, just all those sorts of things two months into quarantine. you know, what happened is that during that time, the world got crazier and crazier with, um, of course, COVID-19 getting worse and numbers getting higher than they've ever been in North Carolina and in other places. Um, but with the death of George Floyd um, in May, I believe it was May 24th in Minneapolis, um And then the start of the protests and um, just everything associated with that and the uncovering of the murder of the innocent woman, Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, and just this resurgence and rebirth of um, 
all of the injustices that have been done to black Americans over the last 400 years and what's happening in our country um, in the last three weeks is unlike anything I've ever seen. And I thought, how will I even begin to comment on that as a white 44 year old woman? And gosh, I mean, there's just, it goes on and on and on. There's so much. So what I arrived at today when I thought about recording is that it feels significant and important to do this recording almost as a time capsule, almost as a moment to acknowledge this moment in time, even if only for my children who listen to this in 20 years or 30 years, if they do, or 10 years about what June 15th, 2020 looks and feels like in our country as best I can, um, just to acknowledge it and say, we're here, I'm here, this is what's happening, um, and talk a little bit about that and how I'm feeling and how I'm doing and how our family is faring, um, as we move through all of these things. And, um, once again, you know, I do believe that though America is burning in many ways, um, there is so much good that's going to come from these horrific circumstances, many, many, many horrific circumstances that so many people are facing. So I don't really want or need to touch on the pandemic much more than to say that it's June 15th, 2020 and the pandemic is ongoing. It's been three months since our lives sort of stopped the way that we knew them. And, um, we put in a lot of work, at least in Durham, North Carolina to stay home for months and began to open up slowly around here. And the numbers in North Carolina and in this area are today higher than they ever have been. And I just heard that hospitals are at 87% capacity. And um, we're hearing about lots of other states where the numbers are higher than they ever have been. Florida, um, California, and that is due to things opening up and um, I was speaking to our cousin in Florida yesterday and she was saying that they can trace it in Miami back to um, Memorial Day weekend. So, you know, people are like, woohoo, we're hitting the beach and not social distancing. And there's been so much more um, uncovered about the way this um, virus is transmitted. And we know that it really is mostly through the droplets in the air. And it's so important to wear masks. And of course, when people are on top of each other at pool parties or on beaches or whatever, that isn't happening. So um, we've learned more about how um, the virus living on surfaces is less of a concern, but that the it's not zero concern, but it's less of a concern, but it's really transmitted through the droplets in the air, which is why it's vital that we all wear masks and that we all distance as much as we can. Um, and that, um, we, we can pretty safely be outside, um, with each other without masks. If we're far away, we just really can't be breathing on each other. Um, or spitting on each other or swapping saliva or licking each other's faces. 
Speaking of, I cannot even imagine what it would be like to be single during this time and trying to date. I really shout out, shout out to those people who are on the dating apps and trying to figure out what to do. Um, but as I stare into my garage that's filled with a go-kart and bicycles and Nerf guns, you can tell I'm far from that life and <laughs> grateful for that. Um, not that there's like so much kissing going on in this house as we navigate our crazy life, but you know, hugs and kisses are allowed in our house and that feels good. feels good to be able to hug people and um, yeah, I mean... I really feel for people who are on their own, alone, not having any human contact, not hugging at all. And um, I know that loneliness was an epidemic in this country and everywhere before this even happened. And I can only imagine uh, how loneliness is affecting people now. Um, so I want to share a reminder to reach out to your friends who are alone uh, and check on them older, younger, whatever, because loneliness is very, very, very real. And in terms of uh, causing negative impact on people's lives and mental health and states of being. And I do feel so grateful that I get to wrap my arms around three boys every day if they let me and if I want to. Um, so yeah, so that's what's happening in the pandemic. You know, we, and yet I live in suburbia and we have this um, sort of peaceful enclave where it's not that ignorance is bliss, but we're able to avoid it. And I know how fortunate I am that we have green grass and we have a neighborhood that's safe where our kids bike around and see the same friends they've seen for months. We got this 15 foot in diameter round um, pool out back that's like, you know, you blow up part of it, but then you fill it up and it feels, oh my God, it's like amazing. I, I, I think for the rest of our lives, we'll be saying, remember when a blow up pool saves summer? Because of course, most camps are canceled and the kids are just, you know, they're here and they are finding, they're kind of finding joy in their own space and in their own lives in a way that they never have. And that's one of the wonderful things about this is that so many of our kids stay so busy with activities and sports and school and camps and friends. And I love that my kids are really like kicking it old school, like going out in the neighborhood, seeing who's around, um, riding their bikes around, riding their scooters, playing baseball in the cul-de-sac, swimming in the blow up pool. Um, and we, call it now we call it the Beeson Beach Club and I put all of our seashells that we've collected on vacation out on the screened in porch and we play music and you know just try and make it as fun as possible but I am very aware very aware it is not lost on me that this is a great privilege that I have and that we have to be number one working from home I mean my husband does go work outside of the home at this uh, bottle shop restaurant for his um, company, but very safely and with limited interaction with people. You know, we have the great privilege to 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 mostly be at home. Me, you know, I'm mostly at home, and um, to be with my children and um, to be in a very safe, beautiful neighborhood. And it's just not lost on me. 
that privilege. And I truly feel grateful for it all of the time. But this time in our lives has made me even more grateful for it and really more grateful for everything, everything. Um, and yeah. And then, and then this uprising, this very necessary uprising in our country, um, over the killing of George Floyd among so many other innocent black men and women in our country in this decade, in this year, much less the past two decades, three decades, four, five, six, and 400 years. Um, something is happening in this time, which I really want for anyone to be able to hear if they listen to this many years down the road, that, that some, there's something major happening right now that is painful and deep and big and palpable. And, um, that I can only say I've not seen the likes of in my lifetime and that I truly hope will be the change that is um, needed, that it will, that it will finally come and that there have been so many uprisings before um, that I remember, I mean, dating back to Rodney King in 1992 in Los Angeles and the Los Angeles riots. And there have been so many that I've been, you know, sort of aware of. Um, but clearly there's so there's been so much that's remained with the systemic racism in America and the fact that, um, that people are not treated equally and that so many black people are innocently murdered by police in this country. Um, and I'm just going to speak plainly about that. You know, I think that is what it is. There is no way around that. And it does matter. Black lives matter. It, it goes without saying that we don't need to say that all lives matter because of course they do. The issue is that we have to even highlight that black lives matter. You know, I, I just watched this comedy special by, um, Michael Che from Saturday Night Live, and it was actually a comedy special from 2016, but he was talking about Black Lives Matter. I mean, it was so, so um, resonant to this time, what he was talking about, which obviously goes to show you that nothing has changed, but he was talking about Black Lives Matter, and he was like, the fact that we even have to say that, like, what's lower than that, that we can all agree on, that Black Lives exist and, you know, it's funny the way he said it. And, of course, it's it's so true. Like, where's the lie in that? There is no lie. And, and understandably, people are outraged. And this is different because everyone's at home now or so many people are at home now. They have the time and attention to pay attention and, and really get involved and get behind it, meaning people who are not black people, um, and put their energy and their time and their emotion and their money and their words behind it in a way that they never have been to try and make it better. 
And it's wild what's happening and in a good way, but systems are falling. People are getting fired. People are resigning. I mean, everyone is doing a deep dive into the way that they have allowed this systemic racism to continue in their schools, in their businesses, small and big business, in Hollywood, in everywhere. I mean, everywhere, everywhere. You know, everywhere from from Bon Appetit magazine to to Bravo TV to, um, you know, I'm showing you what I'm reading about. But I mean, everywhere people are changing things. And and so what I want to say about this is that I think it's amazing and powerful and I stand completely behind it. And I it's while it's hard to watch, it is an incredible, um, process that, that is painful and, uh, just so, so necessary. So, so necessary. And there's so much work to be done and there is so much to be done that I don't understand and that I haven't seen or understood before. And, It's really important that I say in this moment as a 44-year-old white privileged woman, privileged because I was raised, raised white, privileged because I'm white, right? And was born white. So I was inherently privileged and privileged because I've led a privileged life in all the ways that one might imagine. Um, And it's really important that I acknowledge that there is so much I have to learn And it's shocking to imagine that I've lived these years and that even though I lived through the, you know, Rodney King riots in 1992 when I was in high school and all these other things throughout the years that it's taken this moment when literally America is burning, that it's taken me going, what's my part in this? And that's my white privilege. And I acknowledge that. That even though I have black friends, I've had dear black friends through the years, um, that I have always, um, I believe, treated people fairly and equally, that there is this um, racism, I guess, that, that that is within me because of the culture in which I was raised. And that's what I'm looking at for the first time. And it's what everyone is suggesting we do. You know, I I read so much about what black people of all kinds are writing. Number one, I keep saying black people. And I want for my white listeners to know that I did a lot of reading about whether or not to refer to black people as black people or as blacks or African-American. And I learned that the preference is black because... Being afraid of calling people black is like saying that it's less than or bad and they are black in the way that we are white. And um, apparently a lot of black people feel that calling, um, using the term African-American downplays their um, role or diminishes their place in life as simply American. 
uh, black Americans. So I've learned that um, because I long referred to black people as African American um, as a matter of respect. And so I am going to move forward using the term black. And as they suggested, if I get corrected by someone um, in particular, I can use the term African American. So I want to share that with you. That's something I've learned about. Um, I've learned how to speak to my children about racism, which is, you know, something that Maddie, uh, has done in his own way for years. Um, he has long been someone who has, uh, looked at the world from a place of equality and, and from a very different standpoint than I have. Um, he, I don't know how to say this properly. I mean, he did his thesis on affirmative action. He, I'll say the things that I am now just now considering about the way that I move through life are things that he probably considered in early high school. And his friend group was largely black in high school and college. And, um, he, uh, he has seen the world and, and led, led his life in a way, um, that, uh, he feels great about, um, lacking racism, lacking any deep rooted cultural racism for decades. And we've had really interesting conversations about it. And, um, it's helping me look at those parts of me that I want to change. Um, it's so amazing. The things that persist that we don't even realize. I found myself describing, um, helping my children with schoolwork and the way that I was, um, with managing homeschool. And I heard myself just this week describe myself as a slave driver with their schoolwork. And immediately for the first time in my life, I stopped myself and said out loud, Oh, that's not okay. And the person I was talking to said, I hear you and I hear what you're saying and I recognize that you're changing that right now. And it's just amazing. I mean, it's not something I've ever stopped myself from saying before. It's been in my vernacular. I picked it up somewhere. I learned it. It's just something people have said. And I'm learning. And I'm changing. I'm listening. I'm making an effort. And as you heard in that exchange I had with my other white friend, when she acknowledged me saying it and acknowledging that it wasn't okay, we're teaching each other, you know? And, um, I just, I think that's, what's different for me is that I am really stopping and listening in a very significant way for the first time, um, I don't know if I can say I wasn't interested before. Perhaps there was part of that, or maybe there wasn't the conversation happening around me in such a strong way. Um, it feels hard to say that I was someone who wouldn't have been open to hearing about uh, someone's struggle or the way that their lives were challenging, uh, because they were black, but I know that I'm guilty of that. And in fact, I can think of a really specific instance two years ago when a dear friend of mine was, um, 
a guest professor for a year at my college and was sharing with this small group of friends of ours from our singing group in college about how her experience as a black woman teaching at this small liberal arts college in Ohio was very challenging. And um, this was ahead of us going back for our reunion and she was sharing really her, her experience and her discontent with her experience at school. And I told her essentially that, you know, that I was sorry that that was the case, but that I just wanted to come back to college and sort of be in the bubble and not think about the negatives and just live in a fantasy world for a weekend. And I essentially know now that I told her in some ways that I didn't want to hear about her experience because I didn't want to hear that there were racist, shitty subplots happening at my beloved alma mater. And it took me a while to understand what I had said and what that, what that meant to her, how I had silenced her and how I hurt her and why she was upset with me. And I knew in the moment that I hurt her I knew sort of peripherally how, and I felt really bad about hurting her, but it took me time to really understand that I had silenced her. And even before all of this reckoning and awakening of this month, I mean, I really had this reckoning and awakening maybe a year ago and I wish I had reached out to her then because I know from reading so much now that what our black friends also don't want is us calling up and apologizing for all of our wrongdoings right now because it just feels empty or it feels wildly late, just late, late, late to be acknowledging our part in this. Um, But I do owe an apology and I will reach out and make that directly, even though it's two years too late and really unfortunate that, um, it even happened and that there was that part of me that was saying, you know, I really, my intention was just that what I was feeling was like, my life feels challenging right now. And I want to go back to my safe, happy place of college and just have it be the way it was in 1998. And, and, and let's just not talk about the hard things. Let's just go back and sing and laugh and hang out and, you know, party and whatever, you know, um, But I know that she was sharing something really real and really uh, significant to her life experience and that I shushed her and I feel awful about it. Um, But this is my moment to say that I um, in from that instance and I from others that I am trying to sort of dig up through my past to recognize my own actions or inaction or, um, you know, things I've said, like I mentioned to you earlier, you know, I'm trying to look at all that and write my wrongs and not repeat them, you know? Um, you know, I read something that said, it was something to the effect of the most powerful way to support all of this is by changing your actions. So I am committed to changing my actions, to listening, to reading, 
to doing the uncomfortable work, which is what everyone's saying, get uncomfortable, look inside yourself, do the uncomfortable work about the things that you've done in your past that you felt were okay. You know, like the time in New York City, Halloween, when I was 22 or 23, that I bought a a wig of um, like a Rasta like braided with red, yellow and green beads on it um, from Ricky's pharmacy that I bought that for Halloween and, and, and um, put it on and without even understanding that I was creating blackface, just put bronzer on my face to look darker to go with the wig, not even understanding what I was doing not thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking like I'm turning myself into a black person. I was just thinking like, and I wasn't thinking, was that right? Or was that wrong? I was just thinking I got this, this braided wig. Um, I'm going to make my face darker. I'm going to put on a wild outfit. Like this is my Halloween costume. And that's the example of this sort of systemic thing where like, we just are taught that that's okay. That like, that's a thing. And I don't think anyone who's 23, um, at least in my world or the world that I would have run in then, like, I don't think anyone, anyone would do that today. Um, and really the world was very different 20 years ago, but it was still only 20 years ago. And it just shows kind of, I don't know, the way I moved through my white privileged life, even though I had black friends and black schoolmates and, and, Um, I've lived in a very white world until I moved to Durham, North Carolina in January of 2004. And I'm here to tell you, we, Maddie and I, in our first little home we had together, um, which I don't know why I said little, it was a lovely home. We lived there for 10 years. It was like, I think of it as like our sweet little love shack where we brought home our first baby and it was just so sweet. But all that to say that I had black neighbors in my neighborhood for the first time. Durham is over 50% black. I had never experienced anything like that before. I, and I commented on it. I was like, wow, this is so different. I mean, I lived in New York city, which yes, is very diverse, but also very, um, uh, very white, like very segregated in its own way. I mean, I remember anywhere we went was white restaurants where I worked, you know, um, Durham really opened my eyes. And I remember my mom commenting on it. My mom who grew up in, you know, the suburbs of Boston and then lived in Denver and then lived in Maine, you know, um, all very, very white, um, neighborhoods and existences. And when she moved to Durham in 2007, she was 67 and, um, it took some getting used to for her. You know, she was, um, she would comment on it. And while my mom, who, who was in the theater for years and had so many gay friends and, um, you know, supported all kinds of people and would have never, or still would never consider herself racist. Um, really like, yeah, I remember thinking that her commentary about it showed how white her world had been as mine had been too, you know? And yet here I am 16 years into living here and I am just acknowledging so many things for the first time. The language I use that has just been ingrained in me as being, um, you know, commonplace or, um, 
whatever it is. And I think, you know, an apology for anything I've done, um, is way too late. Yes, I am sorry. Yes. I, I feel, you know, embarrassed. I feel a sense of regret, but you know me, I'm really focused on moving forward. And the very best thing I can do is to learn, to listen, to read, to open my eyes and ears. And certainly my biggest role is to help educate these two privileged white boys we are raising to understand, um, the way to move through the world with love in their hearts for everyone and to understand the history of our country, a lot of it that's really ugly and understand what people have been through and why um, we've worked so hard to make change and bring about change and and help them move forward in their lives uh, in the best way that I can. You know, which is, I believe, what we've been doing. And they're at a wonderful school for that as well. But, you know, it's our job. And um, I've taken them downtown to see all the graffiti. And we've had hard hard conversations about what's happened. And I I don't know if I should say graffiti. It's really artwork. It's this um, spray paint artwork that's all over the uh, uh, plywood that was boarding up the buildings downtown. Um, during the protests and we had conversations about everything. They did hear about George Floyd from a neighbor and I felt really scared. A neighbor boy who, you know, is older and has shared a lot of things with my children this spring. Um, but, um, at first I was really scared to talk to them about that. You know, I don't want to talk to them about violence. I don't want them to know about the ugly things in the world, but I realize that this is my moment, you know, this is really important. This is something they need to know. And I don't have to tell them all the gory details, um, but they need to understand, you know, what's happening in our family. It feels really important to talk about it. And doing this podcast felt important. I'm not sure uh, if I did it in the best way. I did it in the way that I know how. I just tried to share authentically and honestly what's going on and how I feel and how I'm moving forward with things and um, recognize that it's June 15th, 2020. You know, it's, it's, it's 50 years, more than 50 years past the civil rights movement. And there is so much that has to change in this country. And I am committed to looking at myself and to doing better. I always just want to be willing to learn and willing to do better. And while I'm sorry that it took this long, I'm, um, you know, just doing my part and doing what I can. And, and it, it's never too late. It doesn't matter how old you are. It is never, ever too late to learn how to be better. Um, so gosh, I think that's all I've got today. I think I wanted to put that out there and, um, not let this moment pass without acknowledging it because it's so significant, important. It's something I've been thinking so much about and putting energy into and crying over and feeling angry about and having conversations about. And, um, it wouldn't be right if I didn't really give it its due in some way. 
send it out to the universe, to um, those who are listening now. Thank you. And um, to my boys who will listen to this one day. Um, I really hope that you're listening to this when the world is a much kinder place, a much, much kinder place, and that this country is a much kinder place. This is also Pride Month, June, and we know that on Friday, June 19th, which is called Juneteenth, um, which is uh, the day that um, slavery was officially abolished and it's become somewhat of a holiday, like um, a really important day that black people in America celebrate. Um, we know that Trump is hosting a huge rally on Juneteenth um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Friday, um, which seems very deliberate and pointed. And where I learned in 1922, there was a huge deadly raid in Tulsa, Oklahoma on um, a self-sustained, black, thriving community um, where many, many people were killed. And so it just feels really pointed that he's holding a rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma on Juneteenth. Um, all those things together just pretty much sum up this presidency or this regime, as people call it, and certainly how I feel about it. I, I, I truly hope that we all get to live in a kinder place in the years to come and that we have a leader who's a true leader um, rather than what I believe is a true monster who's tearing this country apart. And um, um, that's, I just don't know what more to say than that, but that's, that's what's happening to my boys who are listening years later. I hope that you're in a kinder place. And I truly hope that we will be in a kinder, gentler, and certainly healthier place in a number of months, hopefully even by November 4th, 2020, when the election happens for our new president. So, um, sending this out to the universe and to all with so much love and gratitude for you listening, please share it with someone who you think might benefit and pass it along. And if you would leave me a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen and, um, stay well and healthy and, I don't intend to take another month break. I hope I'll be back with you again soon. Thank you for listening. Lots of love. Bye. Oh, and take some time for yourself. Guys, I went and got my hair cut today. We all had masks on, of course, but my salon in Durham reopened. It was so wonderful to go. I got four inches cut. I feel like a new human being. That was such a form of self-care to have that conversation at Union Hair Studio in Durham with my dear friends who work there. Um, wow. Yeah, I hope you can get some time for yourself. It was awesome. Okay, lots of love. Bye. Thanks for listening today, guys. If you would, please subscribe to the podcast, pass it along to someone you think might like it and leave a review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen. It would really help so that more people can find because why not? Thanks a lot. Bye.